Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bandari from Ortho Evidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Good morning, Mo. Morning. So I'm sitting here in the office uh, for a change. I've been traveling a lot, never as much yeah. as you do. You know, I think I'm a, a, a poor second to your world travels, but no, actually, I, I, <laughs> I was going to say I've canceled a bunch of travel recently just because it's nice to be home. So I'm, I'm happy to be yeah. home. Well, you're gracious. You don't want to get so far ahead of me. I look like a pauper, and uh, for that, I'm grateful. <laughs> but so, th- so this week is uh, American Thanksgiving. What, when is uh, when is Canada? When does Canada do their equivalent? Yeah, ours is yeah, ours is in uh, um, early October. Well, second week of October usually. So we've had our Thanksgiving uh, uh, event already. Oh. So ours is well, yeah, ours is done. And now we're just into the holidays. We're we're just thinking yeah. we're thinking year end now. That, that's that's the Canadian yeah. mindset. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's kind of a week of reflection here in the states. And actually, this very morning, I took the opportunity to read the Abraham Lincoln. He, he made the proclamation October 3rd, 1863, in the middle of the Civil War. And it's wow. a very powerful proclamation about how even though things are horrible, we have much to give thanks for. And uh, it was a very, very moving experience. But we're here doing our annual kind of look back and prediction kind of thing. So we're going to mm-hmm. talk about 23, what's, what's in your, uh, uh, your mind about the most impactful thing. And I'll do the same for the journal. And then maybe a few minutes about what we think is coming down the road for sure. research and movement in, uh, uh, in our respective publications. So you go first. Uh, what's uh, sure. something that really is important for OE? Yeah, so I mean, the one thing I'll just share with you um, and those who are listening in is, you know, at OE, we started um, trying to find a way beyond impact factor to identify, you know, at the end of the year, how do you know what's had impact or what's likely to have impact? So we have using you know uh, machine learning algorithms and ai and that seems to be the, the word of the of the day or the the approach of the day um we identified uh, a tool that we're calling oei oei impact mark and in doing so it looks at not just the impact factor of the journal as one factor but it looks at the actual content and so the, you know the perception has always been why you know no one journal you know as much as we think we hope that we can get all the best evidence in one spot but the truth is any one journal, you know, and you can look at the uh, even the medical journals, for example, they might have less than 5% of the best orthopedic content out there. And even the stuff that gets in there is a fraction of the best orthopedic content. So how do you find it and, and get it? So we've been using this algorithm to identify it. So I use that. And basically, I'll, I'll tell you, when, when I look at, okay, what, what were the fraction of our studies that were considered high impact in the 2023? It was interesting that, and I'll, I'll this will rhyme for you, but the message of the year was non-inferior. And I'll say it again. The message of the year was non-inferior. And we had, and remembering now, um, you know, that different than our usual approach to superiority, a non-inferiority experiment by contrast, right, to a superiority trial, tries to show that a new intervention is not inferior to the previous one. So it looks at sort of, in in, in, in most cases, a, a current standard and says, you know, is the new intervention not acceptably, unacceptably worse? So you set a criteria and say, okay, if it's at least as close to being to the standard, we'll call it non-inferior. That's how these models are typically set up. 
So I've got a list of six quick bangers, so to speak, that are, are not inferior. And I'll go through a few of these, but I will share a couple others in, in, as we go back and forth a bit. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll do three and then I'll, I'll pause and look okay. and get, get your take. But what we identified, at least in terms of high impact, highly read, uh, highly cited work uh, in 2023, uh, non-operative treatment was non-inferior to operative approaches in proximal humerus fractures. This was a meta-analysis of all things of 15 randomized trials that looked at op open reduction total fixation, intramedullary nailing, hemiarthroplasty, and reverse total shoulder arthroplasty. And this was a, um, a study, again, that looked at a bunch of them, but came up with this, well, it doesn't seem to be um, any superiority to one approach or the other. There's going to be lots of debate around specific nuanced cases, but all in all, that was the message of that one. Another uh, study came out suggesting in that posterior cervical foraminectomy, oh, sorry, foraminotomy was not inferior to anterior cervical discectomy infusion for cervical radiculopathy. And again, you know, the idea of looking at alternative approaches. Uh, total ankle, in this particular case, uh, ankle arthrodesis was non inferior to total ankle arthroplasty for end stage ankle osteoarthritis. Those are three studies that kind of looked at, you know, alternative approaches against what was perceived to be a standard and said that there's acceptable limits to you know, choosing either or. I'll, I'll pause there. I got a few more. Yeah, well, if I could just comment, you know, there's always, uh, and we, we see this at every single uh, conference that we attend to, what we don't see in RCTs is the surgeon factor, right? I mean, uh, and we agree that the surgeon is a huge part of the result. And we're trying Absolutely. to tease out the, the, uh, the impact of the, the particular treatment across the board, not considering the surgeon factor. So that's the pushback we always get on this, particularly on the proximal humerus question, right? I mean, hundred percent. And you know very well too that there's there's no shortage of trials that have looked at the reverse total shoulder arthroplasty against other approaches right. that suggest that that really does perform very well. So I, I do think it's 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 much more than just looking at all trials. And so there are limitations. But I will tell you again that you know um, when you look at these sorts of things. As you know, uh, in the world of social media and the world of bloggers, having impact doesn't always mean that it's actually correct. What it suggests is, is in fact, that it's having impact. So, you know, if you are someone who's interested in proximal humeral fractures, it would at least at a minimum make you think, I should probably read this paper because other people are reading it and you can have your own take on it, you know, but, uh, yeah, right. you know, impact itself is just, you know, it's got a lot of eyes on it. So we should, we right. should at least be aware of it. Right. So I'm going to take a quick look at uh, the, the list and a shout out to Thomas Wofford, who's part of Alan Harper's group at the Journal. And he he kindly gave me a spreadsheet with all, all of the stuff for 2023. And I just came up with three because part of what we're doing here is uh, predicting articles which will influence the future of research. And I picked out one uh, perioperative essential amino acid supplementation facilitates quadriceps muscle strength and volume recovery after TKA, double-blinded randomized controlled trial, and it showed the positive effect of perioperative essential amino acids. We've seen uh, articles on preoperative nutrition coming from the trauma side and the spine side as well. So I think this nutrition stuff is, is really going to be increasingly part of improvement of outcomes for patients undergoing surgical care. I don't know if you have any uh, comments or thoughts about that, but uh, I'll, I'll well, hit actually, the... Uh, I'll ball back to you. 
Right. Well, I, I would tell you that um, I remember very clearly us having a discussion about this earlier in the year. Uh, so this right. is something I know that had, you know, that for you had been an area where I thought, you know, you think the future is heading. And I think we both agree that, you know, implant A versus implant B, while important, you know, um, you know, important to at least have a sense of, we're, we're likely going to see a lot of uh, non-inferior or equivalence types of uh, results with those sorts of trials. Um, the opportunity for real, uh, I guess, the re real success in, in managing patients that have, have very complex issues, as you know, Mark, is, you know, is the perioperative arena where we really get into the interdisciplinary care. So I think you just highlighted and get another area where you know, we can optimize, you know, um, the care of surgical patients with looking at perioperative care, you know, in a very serious way. So, you know, very, very, um, um, you know, very, very supportive of that being an area of future inquiry. And, and you know, yeah, and, and it's on the area of perioperative care, you know, we were seeing lots, uh, and, you know, we've seen a couple of big programs come out, you know, many multi-thousand patient studies come out specifically looking at mortality from venous thromboembolism. So there was, um, again, two studies that came out relatively, um, and, you know, both were, um, again, these were in the medical journals, but, you know, it really reflective of, of orthopedic patients. One was aspirin was not inferior to anoxaparin in preventing mortality from venous thromboembolism in hip or knee arthroplasty. But we also know that the prevent clot team led by a group of traumatologists primarily, you know, found the same, same, basically the same findings, right? Uh, that there was no difference mm -hmm. between aspirin yes. and, uh, um, and an oxyparin, uh in patients with uh, extremity fractures. You know, the caveat always is, is that, well, aspirin does lead to a higher proportion of patients with, you know, DVTs, uh, below knee, but when it gets to the major symptomatic consequences, there did not appear to be a difference. And so again, another perioperative uh, approach that could, you know, that can lead to something that could lead to important outcomes and also gives people the assurance that you're not necessarily practicing outside of standards when you're using, let's say, uh, aspirin for patient care. Another one. Yeah, full, came uh, just a well, full yeah, disclosure, I, I chaired the DSMB for the prevent clot trial. So yeah. just full disclosure. But oh, yeah, no, yeah, fair enough. But, it, but an important study, right? I mean, a very important Absolutely. study. In the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. These were you know, further all, to this issue. Know, Severe injuries with, you know, pelvic pelvic trauma. So, yeah, okay. sorry for interrupting. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Further to the issue of perioperative care, there's been a lot of discussion around, you know, uh, do you use, you know, um, you know, uh, ancefazolin, for example, and vancomycin and vancomycin in this combination, can that lead to improved outcomes in patients with arthroplasty? We're starting to see some of that work in trauma and we're seeing it in spine. But this was a, a randomized trial that says basically ANCEF is non-inferior to using ANCEP, a combination of intravenous ANCEP or intravenous vancomycin for infection prophylaxis and arthroplasty. Um, so once again, while we're trying to sort things out, you know, you're still trying to find ways to say what is the most, well, you could say one is the most frugal innovation we can have, but also, you know, what, what limits risk for patients? You don't want to put patients on a battery of antibiotics, in fact, if it's not going to lead to these substantial important outcomes. So um, that was an important one. And I'll, I'll leave another one for its diagnosis. One was, you know, the use of ultrasound was not inferior to radiography for suspected pediatric forearm fractures. And this was the, given the acronym of the BUCKLED trial. But you can see here that these, the work that seems to be getting what we're calling OE high impact has a lot to do with perioperative care, um, you know, very much to the point that you've addressed that we're seeing lots and lots of inquiry in that area. And that's leading to a lot more uh, interest in the orthopedic community broadly. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, ultrasound. I think is uh, you know requires a bit of a learning curve yeah. uh, because it's you know it's it's administered by the person making the decision. Uh, right. But that I think that's a very important uh, finding. Um, I don't think it's that difficult to 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 learn it. Um, uh, and uh, if you can do it, boy, if it's non inferior, saves a lot of resources and time and sure uh, discussion with parents as well. Sure. Right. And it's right there. It's timely. You can share it and it's it's portable, right? A lot of them is, is portable right at the bedside, you know, approaches. So right. yeah, yeah. Very, very you can see that being potentially really important. Right. So the second one I highlighted from uh, 2023 was the microbiome of osteoarthritic hip and knee joints, a prospective multi-center investigation. Uh, I can't recall whether we've discussed this on OrthoGel before, but this was uh, to me a really eye-opening uh, publication where the investigators uh, took tissue from uh, patients who are relatively healthy with osteoarthritis of the knee and the hip in a very significant proportion. You can detect uh, bacterial uh, uh, genetic material, and it just brings up the uh, the notion that perhaps uh, osteoarthritis may be an infectious disease. Uh, and I know that the whole field of microbiome research is all across medicine, whether it's uh, gastrointestinal issues or cardiac issues or uh, neurologic issues. It, it's really a hot area of investigation across all of medicine. And I will say you are highly consistent because I do remember us discussing this at another one of our <laughs> orthojos as well. So you are very consistent with picking things very early on. So it sounds like you knew something, Mark, that that this was going to be an important study, and indeed it is. And I remember I remember that discussion uh, very well. So uh, you know those listening in, those watching, definitely go back and look at that one. I think that was a very good one. Um, but I would say to you once again that. You know, this gets in. This gets into. I mean, this is a dramatic shift in thinking uh, around. You know, a, a very, very uh, common and chronic problem. So, getting any insights like this can lead to. You know, you can. You can't imagine the future therapies that could come from understanding uh, the work of the microbiome. And we're seeing the microbiome being used throughout the body to understand. You know, diseases that we didn't know much about in the past. So, for sure, a hugely important area of inquiry and appropriately so identified as one of the best of 2023. And well, well, I would uh, point out that, it, that the issue of the microbiome has really gotten into the, the public's mindset. Uh, while recently attending a athletic event in the men's room above the urinal was, a, was an, an invitation to be a stool donor. <laughs> <laughs> of all things, I did, I did not know that was an option. Uh, yes. you know, we should yes. always care. You should always have your stool donor card uh, with you. At uh, always have it. With you. Did not know that existed, Mark. See, you're just a few information. Oh my That's goodness! Right. Uh, well, <laughs> the third one that, uh, if you don't mind, uh, I'll yeah, go, go with my third. The third one, uh, and I think is another area where you and I have so many areas of agreement and little disagreement. But this one uh, is uh, a recent one. Uh, uh, from uh, Cortez, delays in debridement of open femoral and tibial fractures increase risk of infections. A recent publication in the journal uh, August of this year, uh, and it was a, uh, a database study from the SIGN database, uh, which is uh, the organization in Richland, Washington, led by Lou Zirkel, uh, yeah. Where the uh, I think the audience is aware that the organization is in 36 countries in the world, and they provide 
free intermedullary nail and uh, instrumentation to provide these nails with the caveat that the uh, receiving institution has to report the outcomes in terms of radiographic and clinical data uh, in a functional photograph. And it was a multinational study of open fractures of the femur and tibia. And I highlight this one because you and I agree that uh, research in the developing world is, is critical to improve care because uh, particularly in the area of trauma, it, it is such a growing public health problem uh, that to have better evidence on which to make treatment decisions is going to be benefiting huge numbers, millions of patients around the world. So that's why I highlighted that, highlighted that one as my third choice for 2023. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, and I don't think it's, 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 uh, it goes without saying that if we think about the burden of trauma around the world, a fraction of that trauma is occurring in North America. Um, for our North American you know, listeners, it, the majority of it, 90% or more, is occurring in low middle income countries. And so, you know, targeting frugal, and I have to think we have to think frugal interventions, you know, that are going to be widely applicable, I think is critically important. And I think we both agree on that. So these sorts of studies highlight what some people may already think, well, you know, it's, you know, we knew this, but I think you have to get data from the source that helps you understand this. The other thing is that when you look at um, global surgery commissions, you know, they've identified, uh, you know, surgical uh, areas of focus around the world. And, you know, and when we think about that, outside of obstetrical emergencies, which is, a, you know, considered a bellwether uh, criterion for, you know, improving uh, care around the world, improving quality of life around the world, management and rapid management of open fractures is one of the ones that's identified. And so getting patients and getting individuals, you know, to care, uh, and appropriate care uh, within you know a few hours is a target, a global target, not just a target for us in, in developed nations. So I, I totally understand the importance of you know sirening that you know delays to surgery are going to lead to problems. In this particular case, delays to I and D, um, and even you know right. you know we've done lots of work in the past on uh, just basic you know uh, you know early management, you know, uh, doing an irrigation, getting the wound irrigated, getting the area splinted, irrigated, and getting that individual with even an antibiotic uh, dose. We had lots of these sort of things that have come up, but they're hard to tangle, right? Because open fractures are complex to begin with. And, you know, you've got to pick each and every one of those separate uh, aspects rather than thinking that, you know, we can just figure out because uh, there's so much confounding that goes on in those patients. So, uh, very interesting um, study and, you know, again, highlighting the importance of these global studies overall and ma making sure that we're inclusive, I think, is the word you're saying is making sure yeah. that, you know, finding of a study can be used not just by, you know, our colleagues locally, but also by anyone in the world. They can pick up that study and say, okay, this gives me insight to help me practice. Right. And to return to the theme of perioperative care, it, it's all about time, time to yeah. time to treatment. And so, Absolutely. yeah, these, the most important thing is developing systems to get patients to early early care uh, in the developing world. So Absolutely. now it's time to turn uh, uh, to turn to what do you predict will be uh, continued important research themes in 2024. What what do you think for 24? Right, and so I mean, you know, and and I'm pretty sure I've said this in the past, and I'm I'm going to continue to say this is that. Um, I don't think, Mark, that we have seen, at least in my lifetime, I, I suspect it's probably similar for you as well, um, such a rapid advancement with respect to just new technologies. So, for example, think, think about, you know, the time in which social media started 
and then which it kind of grew, 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 grew into, into what it's become now. It's it's a whole new area of, you know, it's created jobs, lives, it's created all kinds of uh, positive, but it's created all kinds of problems, things we didn't know about. When you look at the area that is um, artificial intelligence and the global, you know, um, rapid growth of artificial intelligence technology, it wasn't like literally less than months ago that they or less than a year ago that they unleashed, you know, this regenerative AI, which is the chat GPT-3. That's a different, that's a whole different level. It is different than everything else we know, Mark. And the reason I'm going on about this, because I think this is the future. So that this is my thing. I think we're going to see more and more and more of this. But before it used to be that if you want, like in, in, in the social media world prior to this, you know, regenerative, uh, you know, the algorithms, it used to be, okay, well, if we want to make something better, we have to get back to a think tank we have to use humans to make it better but when you have something that can say that 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 can say well listen take this code and you feed it back to the computer and say make it better it'll make it better and it'll do it at a pace that humans can't do so it used to be an exponential rise in the popularity of social media but the ai rise is i've heard the term double exponential it's happening so quickly and so rapidly that even those that are nervous about it have to jump on board or they'll we completely like you know months go by and it's like a year's gone by in terms of the technology growth and, and the use and the growth so to me we're going to see more and more and more of this as journals i think journals are going to have to come up with real strategies for how we first of all use um the power of, of these new tools that are given to us but also how we protect you know our readership and our community and our patients from you know, just misinformation and glitches in the system that we just don't know about. So I, I think this is going to be um, the hot topic for years to come and many years to come. Maybe it's similar for you, but I tell you, there's an element of um, I'm excited by what's happening, but I'm also very, very nervous by what's happening. Right. Well, I'm uh, the chair of the nervous board for the AI uh, <laughs> wave uh, because I, I, you know, I'm 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 just petrified about the potential for having uh, bad things get into the literature. But I also understand that there are the uses for good uh, are, you know, probably far, far, far outweigh the potential for abuse. But uh, I'm definitely nervous. And I couldn't agree with you more that it's uh, the the hot topic for certainly for 24 and beyond. The, the one thing I would point out is I think we're going to see, and I know I've said this before at some time in the last two years in the history of Ortho Joe, that the number of submissions we're going to be seeing uh, high quality rehabilitation strategies post orthopedic intervention or preventing surgical intervention is going to continue to increase because that's to me is where the real yield is not in better nails or plates or uh, total knee designs but in uh, identifying patients that will benefit from treatment and then rehabilitation strategies to optimize the outcome i think we're going to continue to see that increase in 24. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, we're aligned on that one, for sure. Yeah, yeah it, it's an interesting time, very interesting time. I mean, I, I'll go back and say that, you know, we all, we often focus on, okay, where are we going to get stuff published? And I say that that's an important consideration, but I think the most important thing is what a study reveals will define its impact. And so in what we ultimately question will help us understand what a study will reveal so you know if we can all just sometimes take a step back you know, in 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 the what is the you know what is the rat race that is you know academic sometimes and take a step back and slow down 
Um, like many others before us, I suspect there'll be lots of ideas and lots of innovations ahead that are going to lead to major changes in our field. So that's that's exciting. As long as uh, we all in our uh, musculoskeletal community take the time to think, which you point out so often in your uh, LinkedIn posts, at least, uh, and we're we're all grateful for that. So we uh, are wishing all of the listeners of Ortho Joe uh, a wonderful 2024 uh, in their work ahead. Uh, and uh, I'm going to come and finish my Ortho Joe. You got yours? Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, and we still have a few weeks of 2023. So obviously, uh, health and happiness to all those as well. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's been great chatting, Mo, as always. And thanks very much. And we'll talk to you soon. Chat soon. Take care. Mm -hmm.